We've been discussing making disciples, you know, believers being involved in making disciples, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. So, got a question for you, and I realize this might not be directly church-related initially. What is the problem and what should be done if 90% of our nation's military does not fight or is not willing to fight? What is the problem and what should be done if a 90% of our nation's military is not fighting or willing to fight? What should be done? We're not on up here, Jer, by the way. What should be done? Or... What's the problem? Pardon? Draft them. Draft them. They're already in the military. They're already in the military. Problem with leadership. Problem with leadership. Pray for them that they will respond. Pray that they will respond. Pardon? Military would have consequences. Lee Ron. Something wrong with leadership. Alka. Make them aware of the contract they signed. Make them aware of the contract they signed. Okay, anyone else? Priscilla. Pardon? Something wrong with the heart? Something wrong with it. Okay, you're not talking the physical heart, you're just talking the outlook in life, okay? Any others? Brenda? Look at the training? Okay. I asked that because statistics would tell us that in the body of Christ, those who profess to be believers, 85 to 95% of believers are silent in terms of verbally sharing the gospel of Christ as a pattern of life. And I'm not talking every day. I'm talking when there is opportunity, they just are silent. So you think about what would you do with the military? What do you do with the body of Christ if that is a reality? And I'm not going to debate the figure, but it's pretty high, I think. You know, they just go through life year after year, never really verbalize the gospel to anyone, even when there is an open door. So, my question, why is this a reality? And what are the long-term consequences of that reality? Those are some thought questions. If you have a response you want to respond, you can. But I ask that, and we're not dealing with just in the last five or ten years, we're dealing with a pattern that's been around. And I don't say that critically, but I think we should be concerned, you know, if that is a reality. And I'm talking to verbalizing now. I'm not talking the way you live. 
I'm talking the verbalizing. And I've asked myself the question, no, why may that be a reality? And uh, open to discussion as we go along tonight. But I want to share some things that I think have influenced that, just as there are reasons why a military may have people that are not willing to fight. Some of the answers you gave, I think, are very applicable, you know, to military as it relates to the body of Christ. I'm just going to share some things that I think are involved. One of them is the false teaching, which makes the secular sacred divide. We come to church on Sunday, that's sacred. We go home and turn on the TV, that's secular. We get up to go to work on Monday or go to school on Monday, that's secular. And then we come back next Sunday, now we're back into the secular, or sacred. Well, we're going to sit down and read the Bible, now we're in the sacred again. But most of life is in the secular. So full-time Christian workers, such as pastors, missionaries, college professors, that is Bible college professors, are in sacred work. I'm in sacred work, the rest of you are not. No, you're in secular work. I don't believe that, please understand. (laughs) The implication is that all other disciples are second-rate and are involved in secular work. Who do we lift up in Christianity? Those that are in quote-unquote full-time Christian work. And then there's the rest of the people. Or we're going to go on a mission trip. That's really sacred. We're going to do something for God. I'm going to go plant the garden. Well, that's just life. I think some of the results are that the second-rate disciples do little and depend upon the professional that is a sacred worker. I can't do much for God because I'm just a second-rate believer in Christ. I have to depend upon the professional. The sacred workers depend, build a dependency upon themselves. We can never get along without missionaries. We can never get along without pastors. You know, we just... You know, we're dependent upon them. The result also is that events, services, programs, music is designed to try to get on believers to come to hear the professional. Now, my next example that I'm going to use, I'm in no way criticizing this ministry, okay? Some of you know, if I say sight and sound, what I'm talking about. You will pay, what, $40, $50, $60 to go to sight and sound to see a program and hear people sing and so on. 
And that's fine. I'm not knocking that in any way, shape, or form. But will you pay $50 to come here some Sunday night to listen to Ruth Ann sing and Priscilla sing and Darlene and Scott sing and, you know, some families sing together? And again, I'm not knocking sight and sound or paying money to go. But we develop a mindset. We have these people that are good, and then we have other people. So the second-rate disciples give up hope. So we have professional counselors, and I'm not knocking professional counselors. We have professional musicians. We have professional pastors and missionaries. And then we have training by professionals. So who am I? I'm just a little nobody that can't do anything. And we develop that mindset. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. As you're turning there, who was Adam? Now let me rephrase that. What was Adam's occupation? What was Adam's occupation? He took care of the garden. What was Abraham's occupation? Shepherd. What was David's occupation? Shepherd and then what? King. King. None of them, quote unquote, were in full-time Christian service. Have you ever considered that two of the well-known leaders of the nation of Israel were murderers? Moses murdered an Egyptian. He killed him. You might say, well, he's protecting an Israelite. David was a murderer. No, that doesn't look like a very good track record. (laughs) But yet God used him. Paul did his share too, more than his share, probably. And just think about that. What was Paul? What was his occupation? Some of the time, at least. The tent maker. First Corinthians chapter one. The church in Corinth is divided. Some were following Peter, some Paul, and so on. Let's pick up with verse ten. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of First Corinthians one and verse ten. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree with one another so that there be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Kyo's house, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Another, I follow Christ. One says, I follow Billy Graham. Another says, I follow David Jeremiah. Another, Chip Ingram. And another, John MacArthur. Is Christ divided? 
Was Christ, or was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I'm thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And then in verses 18 through the end of the chapter, Paul discusses the centrality of Scripture. I'm sorry, the centrality of the gospel, the centrality of Christ. And he ends up in verse 30. It is because of him, because of God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boast, boast in the Lord. Chapter 2 and verse 1. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom. I, I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. I get the feeling as I read what Paul writes, his ministry, we today probably would have said, Paul is a lousy speaker. He's not very polished. You know, he's just a not so good guy. I didn't come with you with, or to you with eloquence or superior wisdom. Verse 2, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might, rest in men's wisdom, might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. So the church in Corinth puts out a sign and says, we're going to have the Apostle Paul here tonight. And probably quite a few would say, who wants to go hear him? He's not very eloquent. He's fearful. He's weak. And he's trembling. Why would we go hear him? My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. Paul was not apparently very persuasive. He didn't have a lot of wise words as the world would consider it, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Skip over to chapter 3 and verse 5. What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each one his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. We make this sacred secular, and I'll tie in this passage to another point also. Sacred secular. So we have the good people. We have the people who live in the sacred most of the time. And then there's those who live in the secular most of the time. 
Have you stopped to consider that all of life is sacred? Some of you would say, I spent a lot of my life caring for kids. But some people devoted their life to sharing the gospel in another country. Considered that both are sacred. And if you are faithful as a mother, that is equally as good as being faithful and serving in a foreign field. So the result is, who am I to share the gospel? I'm just a common believer who labors in the secular world and not in the sacred world. So I guess I don't have much to say. Mothers make a tremendous impact on children, whether children always respond or not. You make tremendous impacts on your job. At school. Make a difference. Sacred, secular. You don't find that in Scripture. If you make that divide, most of the people in the Old Testament that God used or quote-unquote in the secular. What was Noah? Not positive, at least he's a shipbuilder, built the ark, but apparently cared for the ground, and, you know, after the flood, you know, he had some grape juice that fermented, you know, and he got drunk, so he must have done some of that beforehand. Adam took care of the garden. Just find over and over again, God uses common, ordinary people. There's not a sacred, secular divide. So my encouragement to you is, don't think that there's this sacred and there's this secular divide. There's people in secular work and there's people in sacred work. Seems to be all sacred. Yes. With the misinterpretation of the separation of church and state played It probably could. No, you separate church and state, you separate sacred from secular and so on. And uh, we in America would say there's a separation between church and state. But at this point in our history, we have distorted separation of church and state. That is not stated in the Constitution. Uh, one of our leaders years ago made that statement. But it's not in our Constitution and so on. And that statement was meant to keep government out of the church. Right. Not the other way around. We distorted it. We have a divide there, and I think we have a sacred sector divide plus some other divides. I 
church spiritual doctrine, but that doesn't I think that helps people say if you're working on a job under the American church, Ruth Anna is saying she thinks it's President Carter that had said, you know, his religious views, his personal views don't influence how he governs. And that sacred secular divide makes a big difference. So I come to church, this is the way we, you know, respond at church and the way we live at church. Well, now I get home and I can just do whatever I want with the TV and watch whatever I want on the TV and respond whatever way I want. No, it's all sacred. So how I behave on the job should be influenced by my walk with Christ. What I do with the TV should be influenced. You know, what I do with the computer you know, should be influenced by my walk with Christ because it's all sacred. And that also makes a big difference in how we live. Oh, I'm on the job now. I can fudge a little. <laughs> no, that's sacred. So you live accordingly. But that divide, which is true in many areas of life, um, my dad was a farmer. He spent most of his working years farming. He was in the sacred work of farming. He didn't get to talk to tons of people about Christ. But he had some salesmen come around at times. What did he do with those opportunities? He went to auction every Tuesday, I think. You know, how did he respond there? How did he do his work? Did he care for the land? Or did he abuse the land so that it was not as good as when he received it? See, all that's sacred. But if you make that divide, you treat daily living different than when we're in church. So our faith is 24-7. Now tied in with that, I think there's another thing related to it. Christianity is bought into the celebrity culture. Hook, line, and sinker. And I think that culture is present among believers. And the idea behind that is a well-known individual or trained individual can do it better than me, the average disciple. And think about that. In Christianity in America, we tend to think that the well-known or trained individual, professionally trained individual, can do it better than anyone else. The implication is that the average disciple, the average believer, can do little. I'm just a truck driver. I just turn wrenches. I just teach some kids. And do you notice the terminology I use? I just. That's not good. Some people are going to have a greater influence than others. We have different gifts. We have different abilities. 
but we buy into the celebrity culture. As a nation, and in no way am I putting anyone down that is involved in any of the items I'm going to mention now. Education, we buy into the celebrity culture. I want to go to this university because they really have a well-known name, you know, and they have good teachers. Well, this university over here is just kind of way, way down on the list. Well, this person has great ability in teaching, and I can't teach. Evangelism. Well, look at Billy Graham. We're counseling. We got to go to the celebrity counselor. Music. We have celebrities in music. And I'm not knocking those individuals. I'm just saying we have bought into that mentality. So the average disciple is discouraged and believes he or she can't. Seminars, conferences tend to exalt the celebrities. So the only responsibility of the average believer is to bring on believers to hear the celebrity. And I think this has been true. The sacred secular divide, the celebrity idea has been present for many, many years. And unless we stop and see it and point it out, we tend to fall into it without even really thinking about it. We just say, who am I? So Daniel, how long, how many years did you work at Technoglass? 32. 32 years at Technoglass. Do you agree with what I'm going to say next? Daniel was in secular work for 32 years. He was not a celebrity or well, way, way up in the chain at Technoglass. So basically, he could do nothing and wasted most of his life. Do you agree with that? No. But how many of us think that way? How many people in America think that way? As they get a little further along in life, they'll look back at their life. I didn't go to the mission field. I was not a big leader in the church. I didn't talk to tons of people about Christ. I guess most of my life was wasted. As far as the kingdom goes. So you think that way very long, or it's kind of present very long. You just, after a while, say, well, I'll just live my life, and there's not much to it, you know. But can't make it a difference, so I won't talk a lot, and so on. I read two thank you notes this morning. One from Peggy, and one from the Austin family, assuming Lorraine wrote it. But do you ever stop to ponder the sacred work that went on as people reached out to Peggy or her mother or family or to Lorraine or Bud and to the family. 
and how that opened doors for some people to share the gospel. And I'm talking the average person to talk about Christ. Paul clearly says, what after all is Apollos, and what is Paul, only servants through whom you came to believe. What is Billy Graham? And what is Chuck Swindoll? What is James Dobson? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned to each his task. If we were to announce next Sunday, well, well, we'll give a little more time. The first Sunday in January, we're going to have David Jeremiah speak. Unless I miss my guess, we probably would have more than a church full. And then we announced that the second Sunday in January that we're going to have Ray Cease and Bill Killian share some wisdom from the years that they have lived. Oh. <laughs> I think we get the point. We live in a celebrity culture, and I'm not knocking Chuck Swindle or David Jeremiah or anything like that. That's not my point. But we buy into a mentality that we have, and we have these people down here, and Paul is saying it's not one above another, it's side by side. Who are these people? Servants. Different roles, different functions, some having maybe more influence. But they're all servants. But the culture, even the Christian culture, puts us, pushes us into this mold to think. We've got people up here, we've got people down here. Rather than people here and here and here. So we just kind of say, I can't do a thing. Who am I? And I think those two items, the celebrity culture and the sacred secular divide, have deeply influenced the sharing of the gospel of Christ. And since I'm a pastor, I can say this. I probably hold church leaders very responsible for that. Christian leaders in the Christian community. Leaders promote that if they are not very, very careful. So what happens? Someone says, oh, Pastor so-and-so over here. No, you ought to go visit them and talk to them about Christ. He says, oh, sure, I'll go. We pastors probably should say, no, I won't go. You go. If you're concerned, you go. You talk to them. 
So we'll say, bring people to this event because we're going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We probably should say, don't bring them to the event. You go talk to them. Invite them into your home. Talk to them on the job. Talk to them across the backyard fence. Talk to your neighbor. And again, I'm not opposed to events. Please understand that. But you see where you follow where I'm coming from. So for years we hear celebrity. For years we hear sacred, secular divide. And after a while we say, what's the use? And then on top of it, well, so-and-so led 500 people to the Lord. Wouldn't you like to do that? How many have you led to the Lord? I'm not sure. By this time, you want to crawl under your chair. You consider that someone coming to Christ is a work of the Spirit. And the issue is being faithful in our sharing, not how many come to faith in Christ. Close with a couple examples. If your parents and grandparents, your primary mission field is your family. If you're married and your mate is unsaved, your primary mission field is your mate. Wherever you live, then another missionary field is just people that live around you. On the job or in school, you know, when we talk about making disciples, we're not talking about going beyond where you already are, just living where you are with a consciousness of sharing Christ. You may share with 10 people a year. You may share with three people a year. You may share with 50 people a year. That's not the point. The point is being faithful in all of life because all of life is sacred. And because in God's kingdom there's not the celebrities and the average person, Paul said, we're servants. I don't know about you, that should be very encouraging to us that God wants to use me. He can use me, and he is using me. And we may not always see it, but as we strive to be faithful. Comments? Questions? Yes, Ray, words of wisdom? Look like you're going to say something or no? To be strong in Christ. Okay, any other comments, questions? If you stop and think this week, how many contacts people in our church have with unbelievers? Um, 
and you don't need someone else. God has enabled you with Christ to share with people. Just as God enables those who have a, what we might call a larger ministry, God enables them. It's not comparison. It's not saying, I wish I could be someone else. Just being faithful where you are. It's not whether people come to faith in Christ or not. It's being faithful. Last week, one day, I stopped in to see someone. And I, we talked some about the Lord and talked some about Christ and the gospel and creation and sin and so on. And uh, I left. I thought, Lord, <laughs> that was discouraging. And the Lord kind of stopped me in my tracks and said, Dan, were you faithful? I said, yeah, Lord, I was faithful. You're done then. You were faithful. Whether he responded or not is not the issue. You were faithful. The door was there. You walked through it. A couple other times you were there, there was no door. No, just no door whatsoever to talk about spiritual things. But this time there was, and you walked through it. Fine. I can go on my way. Will the man ever come to Christ? I don't know. I have other opportunity to interact with him. I'll be faithful. But the Spirit's got to work. Father, we thank you that life is sacred because we walk with you and Christ is our life. May we recognize that more and more. And then, Father, may we recognize that whether someone is well-known or someone isn't as well-known, that we're servants. As Paul said, some may have a greater influence than others, but Paul made it very clear it's not an issue of influence, an issue of recognizing that you give the increase and we're just to be in the category of a servant. So may we be faithful this week and in weeks to come in our daily life to talk to people as there's open doors, whether it be our children, our grandchildren, someone else in our family, and even as we get together at Thanksgiving, may we be sensitive to open doors. But may we recognize, Father, we're called to be faithful. We can't produce results. So we want to humbly depend upon you. For your glory, for it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.